As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm your host, Nikki T, and you're listening to Strictly Homicide an Arkansas true crime podcast that discusses lesser-known cases out of the natural state. Before we get into the case, I want to first say thank you to all of my listeners, everyone who has pledged through Patreon, and everyone who's rated and reviewed us on iTunes. Don't forget to subscribe to the show if you enjoy it. And if you do have iTunes, please consider rating the show and leaving us a review. You can find us on all major podcast apps like iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, Google Play, and so much more. I like to read a review off of iTunes every episode to say thank you. Today, I picked a review that was left by Kay Gonder. Love this podcast. It is great to hear stories that I've never heard before and amazing that she is giving life to these stories, the people who can't speak it for themselves. Can't wait for more episodes as I'm binging them like crazy. Thank you so much. I really couldn't do it without listeners like you. This week, I want to say thank you to our new Patreon members, Mary, Valerie, and Alicia. I really appreciate y'all so much. If you would like to become a Patreon, you can find us by searching Strictly Homicide Podcast. Also, check out strictlyhomicide.com where you can find links to all of our social media and a donate button for a one-time donation. On last week's episode, I got a lot of comments about the Arkansas facts. Since y'all liked it, I decided to stick with it. Have you ever had a cheese dog before? The hot dog weenies with cheese inside? Well, they were actually created right here in Little Rock. I talked a lot about all the natural things that we have here in Arkansas, More than half of the state is covered in forest land. When it's fall and the leaves change, it's absolutely breathtaking. Before President Clinton was president, he was Arkansas's governor. President Clinton is from Hope, Arkansas, the self-proclaimed watermelon capital of the world. And in crime, in 1933, 
Bonnie Parker and Clyde Barrow stole a car and hid out in a tourist camp in Fort Smith. I also found a few local laws that were just too silly not to share. Like the law that says if teachers get a bob haircut, they're not eligible for a raise. And alligators? Well, in Arkansas, they cannot be kept in your bathtub. Warning, strictly homicide covers cases that involve sexual assault, violence, and homicide. Episodes may contain explicit language and are not suitable for young ears. Listener discretion is advised. Episode 8 is a case I found on accident. After reading about it, I tried to find more information, but it wasn't easy. It bothered me that the media reported about the case, but they spoke very little about the victim, Cherish Faith Albright. At that point, I was determined to find more information so I could cover this case. One of our listeners and a friend of mine, Tony, was able to help me get a ton of documents from the appeal. So I want to give a huge shout out to her. The more I read about the case, the more my heart broke. Cherish was clearly a very wonderful person that had her life and the life of her unborn child taken from her by a selfish piece of shit. I really wanted to know what kind of person Cherish was, so I contacted her mother, Belinda, who was very close to Cherish, and she told me about how wonderful she was. She had Cherish's best friend, Kristen, contact me, and it was nice to hear how much she meant to someone else also. It is clear that she meant the world to a lot of people. Before I get on with the case, I want to say thank you to both Belinda and Kristen for speaking with me. Now, on to the show. We never believed or wanted to believe that this would ever happen to us. Such a small town, kids all seemed normal. I think Belinda's words would come out of the mouths of anyone who lives in Ryzen, Arkansas, a small town with a population of around 1,200. On the night of December 3rd, 2015, Cherish Albright and her grandmother, Carolyn Cooley, were lying in bed talking. Around 11 p.m., Cherish received a phone call and started getting out of bed. Cherish told her grandmother that she was stepping outside for just a minute. She didn't mention who she was going to talk to, and Carolyn didn't ask because she knew Cherish wasn't leaving. She was in her pajamas, and it was late. Her grandmother heard a vehicle start and drive off, so she expected Cherish to walk through the door any minute. Minutes turned to hours, so Miss Cooley went to sleep, assuming that maybe Cherish went to stay the night with a friend. Cherish Albright had a smile that was unforgettable. When she smiled, she lit up the room. The people who were closest to her would describe her as the kind of person who never met a stranger. The type of person who is sweet and kind to everyone, no matter who you were. Her best friend Kristen said that even if she was in a bad mood, all she had to do was hear Cherish's laugh or see her face to cheer up. She was known for her contagious laugh. And no matter what time of day it was, if you needed to hear it, you could just call her and she would talk with you. Cherish was the kind of best friend that everyone wants to have. The media reported on the crime, the perpetrator, and his motives, but they failed to report about what really mattered. The fact that such a kind, free-spirited individual who was so full of love was taken from her family and friends. Cherish grew up in Ryzen, Arkansas, a small town about an hour south of Little Rock. Ryzen lives up to its small town stereotype. 
a town where everybody knows everyone and everybody knows what everyone's doing. Most of the Risen residents have lived in the town their whole life. This was the case for Carolyn, Cherish's grandmother, and the generations after. Cherish lived with Carolyn on Rogers Road and they shared a bedroom together. She was so close to her family, especially her grandmother. There was never a time that they didn't know where Cherish was until December 3rd, 2015, two days before her 22nd birthday. Down the street from Carolyn lived a boy named Brad Hunter Smith. Hunter, as he goes by, also grew up in Risen. Hunter's family grew up there as well, his grandfather Paul and his parents. When the kids were around three, they used to go fishing in a pond across the street. Belinda and Hunter's father also used to hang out. If someone were to tell the residents of Risen that soon the community would be divided, they'd laugh it off. That was just unheard of. Cherish loved the outdoors, mudding, fishing, swimming, and camping. Her friend Kristen described it as pretty much anything country people do, she loved. Heck, she even went barefoot 99% of the time. I gave her numerous pairs of shoes, but it never did any good. She still never wore any. That statement immediately made me envision a free-spirited young lady who just loved life. Cherish loved to sing and had such a beautiful voice. She sang at her mother's wedding. She also loved animals. I'm told she would consistently be bringing home stray dogs. The one thing that she loved the most was her brother, Brian James. She had a very special relationship with BJ. He had just turned 10 and Cherish spent the day with him. Holidays and birthdays were special times for Cherish and BJ. She always brought him gifts and would take him out. Cherish even got a tattoo of his name. BJ adored his sister, and they were the best of friends. Cherish had another best friend, Kristen. They were basically sisters, inseparable. Whether they were at the lake or just sitting around the house being lazy, they were always having fun. Cherish was the kind of friend that Kristen could call on no matter the day or time, and if Kristen needed her, she would be there in a heartbeat. You don't meet people like Cherish, described to me by everyone as simply amazing. She loved life and was so full of love that it was a complete shock that she was taken from this world in such a horrible way. Cherish was right by Kristen's side when she had her son. She was so good with kids. She couldn't wait to become a mother and have a baby of her own. Hunter would never make it official with Cherish and would only speak of her or take her around a few friends. Hunter hid the fact that he was sleeping with her. Most likely so whoever else he was manipulating wouldn't find out. But Cherish liked Hunter. She had fun with him, and she didn't really care what others thought of her. She was going to be herself regardless of others' opinions. Cherish trusted too easy, and she was always seeing the best in people. On November 16, 2015, in the Cleveland County Health Department, a nurse named Jamie would enter the room and tell Cherish that she was expecting Cherish was over the moon. While not planned, she still couldn't wait to be a mother. She asked a mutual friend, Jonathan Lunsford, if she can meet with Hunter at his home. Jonathan has known Hunter most of his life. Their dads are friends, so they basically grew up together. 
Jonathan called Hunter and told him that he was going to be a daddy. Hunter claimed that he thought he was messing around with him. He agreed, and when he arrived at Jonathan's house, Cherish and her friend Jessica were there. Hunter and Cherish went into a bedroom and talked. The girls left and Hunter stayed. Jonathan and Hunter were discussing the pregnancy when Hunter made the remark, I need to get rid of her. Jonathan said he didn't think much of it because that was just Hunter's sense of humor. A kid was the last thing that Hunter wanted. A kid would tie him down and Hunter wasn't having that. He offered Cherish money to go get an abortion, but she declined. Abortion wasn't an option for her. And if she had to, she was going to raise the baby alone. At 5.21 p.m. that evening, Hunter noticed a missed call from Cherish and texted her. You call? I don't really want to talk to you. Cherish responded to him. I'm not trying to be a bitch, but I'm not trying to hear no shit. And I know how this is going to go down. I just really want to deal with it today. And you can avoid me, ignore me, and lie and say what you want. I don't give a fuck anymore. They went back and forth, and at one point, Hunter said, I'm not ready for a kid at 19. This was 12 days before his 20th birthday. The conversation went on between the two, and Hunter asked her, Do you want to have a kid? She responded, Well, not alone, but it's a done deal. He then asked her how much he had to give her, and if she was ready to pay a $12,000 hospital bill to give birth. Cherish attempted to get Hunter to at least be an adult about the situation, but he refused. He then told her, look, I got something to tell you about this. What is it? She asked. I'll tell you when I see you. It's just kind of odd. Then again, she asked, what is it? Just wait. It's not like bad or anything. Later that night, around 11.30 p.m., Cherish called her best friend, Kristen, and asked her if she can come by and talk. Of course, Kristen answered. Cherish arrived at Kristen's house visibly upset. She told her what Hunter had told her and that he didn't want to have anything to do with her or the baby, telling her that it was impossible it was his because the doctor told him he couldn't have any kids. He told her he'd give her money for an abortion, and she said no, she could raise the baby alone without him. Kristen specifically remembers telling Cherish that she would never be alone. Belinda and her husband were excited to become grandparents, and BJ was excited to become an uncle. But I think Kristen might have been the most excited. What a special experience it is to go through pregnancy and birth with your best friend. Since Cherish's birthday was approaching, the girls planned to go out and pick the baby's crib out. Cherish wanted nothing more than to spend her birthday getting ready for her child. She was hurt by Hunter, but she was far more focused on becoming a mother. Hunter and his family were completely opposite. Co-workers and long-term friends of Hunter said he was consistently making the remark that he needed to get rid of Cherish. Hunter hung around a group of people who grew up together. Jonathan Gunther often stayed at Hunter's house. Joshua Brown, also known as 12, didn't have the best upbringing and was causing problems and getting into trouble all the time. Joshua, even though he was only 16, was also living with Hunter. Jonathan said he only knew Joshua for a few months, and he was more Hunter's friend. Hunter's mom was never there. She moved in with her boyfriend in Pine Bluff and let the teenagers take over her home. She claimed when she moved only Hunter was living there, but others say that they did live there. The home is right next to Hunter's grandfather's house. 
Chad Allen, or CJ, was Hunter's third cousin and best friend. Not long after finding out about the pregnancy, Hunter went to CJ's, where him and three or four friends were hanging out. At one point, Hunter said, Hey, cuz, you want to go shoot off somebody? CJ said that Hunter joked like that, so he shrugged it off. Hunter continued making remarks like this to friends and co-workers, also asking Jonathan Lunsford and Joshua Brown and Jonathan Gunther to help him get rid of Cherish. Colton Williams, another friend in his group, had no idea that Cherish and Hunter were hooking up, but heard Hunter say that he knew someone who was pregnant and he needed to kill her. Like others, Colton shrugged this off as a joke. The group were all drinking, and the much more intoxicated Hunter made the comment that he had gotten a crack whore pregnant and needed help hiding the body, killing her off, or something like that. And once again, it was shrugged off. Jonathan Gunther claims that he didn't know Cherish, but her grandmother said they were friends. She saw them hang out before. He did say that he knew who she was. Hunter told him that they were not dating, that he went to her house only once and had sex with her, and that he thought the baby was not his. But Cherish was telling people it was before they had a chance for a DNA test. He was very unhappy about this and told Jonathan he needed to help to get rid of her. Hunter's co-worker Eugene said he specifically remembers a day when Hunter was dragging and a couple of guys were messing with him because he was the youngest. They were telling Hunter that he should have more energy than he does because they're old guys and he's young. Hunter told them that he stayed up all night splitting wood and drinking beer. His co-workers said he was sarcastic and crude, so when he told them, you can't dig an eight-foot hole in four hours... Eugene did say that the statement became important to him, but didn't tell anyone about it until way later. The amount of individuals that gave their statement that they heard Hunter say Cherish needed to go afterwards was insane. The amount of individuals that gave their statement that they heard Hunter say Cherish needed to go after it was too late is one too many. Jonathan Gunther got off work at 4.30 p.m. on December 3rd and drove to Hunter's house. Joshua Brown was already at the house. When Hunter got home, the three boys went to the country store, a gas station up the street to buy some drinks and snacks. After the gas station, they went to Hunter's cousin's house. Then they went back to the house and sat around watching TV. It was about 9 p.m. and Hunter brought up Cherish again. He told the boys that he was going to shoot her with a crossbow. And he told Jonathan that if she didn't die, he needed to beat her with a bat. Jonathan told Hunter that he was not going to do that. The boys came up with a plan to take Cherish to a site and kill her. Hunter told Josh to go pick Cherish up and bring her to the site. Hunter's grandfather, Paul, had a trailer they could attach to Jonathan's four-wheeler. They snuck onto his land, trying not to wake him, and got the trailer. Around 10.30 p.m., Josh used an app on his phone to call Cherish, and then he headed to her house to pick her up. Cherish and her grandmother were lying in bed discussing the baby and her birthday party, which was in two days. They were planning to shop for the baby that morning. Cherish and her best friend were going to pick out a crib and then head home to get ready for a small get-together at her friend's house. They were both in pajamas and ready for bed when the phone rang at 11. Cherish answered the phone and started getting out of bed. Her grandmother asked her where she was going, and Cherish replied, Just right out here, and Cherish stepped outside. Her grandmother heard a vehicle pull up, and a few minutes later, she heard it leave. She waited for Cherish to come in, but after a few minutes, she stepped outside to look. She didn't see Cherish, but assumed maybe she went to Kristen's house. 
Hunter and Jonathan were at Clements Field waiting for Josh to return with Cherish. Hunter and Jonathan were at Clements Field waiting for Josh to return with Cherish in Jonathan's truck. The white truck pulled into the field and parked. Cherish and Josh stepped out of the truck and walked into the front of the truck. They stood there chatting and smoking a cigarette. All of a sudden, Jonathan shines a light on them and Hunter stood up holding the crossbow. Cherish looked shocked and scared. They were standing about 50 feet apart when Hunter raised the bow and shot Cherish in her back, right above her waist. Cherish began screaming and yelling, and Josh started yelling, and both of them got in the truck. The arrow was still in Cherish when she got into the truck. Hunter grabbed the bat and started running around screaming. Cherish was yelling, I'm pregnant, please don't kill me. And Hunter just kept telling her and Josh to get out and get on their knees. He was running around like a psychopath. The two got out of the truck because they were scared and they went to the back driver's side and got down on their knees like he demanded. They were both facing towards the road, but away from Hunter and Jonathan. Hunter approached the two and Cherish kept begging Hunter not to kill her because she was pregnant. Hunter ignored her request, walked up, and hit her in the head. It was dark out, but Josh said that there was a little bit of light coming from the cab, and when he looked up, he saw Jonathan with his arms up, and then he heard another hit. Jonathan said in court that he didn't see Hunter hit her, but that he heard a loud thud. He also said he never hit her with the bat. Cherish then fell to the ground. When they looked down at her, she was lying in a pool of blood, and she appeared as though she was seizing. Hunter was still. He didn't move. He stood there staring out like a statue. Josh was standing by the truck holding a bat that he removed from the cab. He was scared that Hunter was going to come after him next. Jonathan looked over at Joshua and told him to leave. Joshua got in the truck and left the field and drove to Hunter's house. Hunter and Jonathan grabbed Cherish by her legs and arms and loaded her onto the trailer. Cherish was already gone by the time they loaded her into the trailer. Joshua walked back through the woods and climbed up Hunter's box stand, waiting for Hunter and Jonathan to return. For those of you that don't know what a box stand is, it's something that hunters use. It's like a treehouse keeping hunters elevated, hidden, and comfortable while they sit out in the woods for hours. When Joshua saw the other two, he climbed down and rode on the front of the four-wheeler to the graveside area. The night before, on December 2nd, Hunter asked the boys to go out in the woods and help them dig a hole. He took them out to the spot that he thought would be best and asked them to dig a hole big enough to get rid of Cherish. That night, they didn't finish digging the hole, so they would have to finish it when they got there. The three of them continued digging from the night before. Once the hole was about six feet deep, Hunter pulled her into the hole and then got out. The three of them filled the hole with dirt and headed back to Hunter's house and went straight to sleep. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, full work, limited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
This was a beautiful woman with child, a woman loved by so many, and this asshole just treated her like a piece of trash. Hunter cared about no one other than himself. He wasted two young lives for nothing more than to not have to be responsible for his own actions. He never thought about the people who will be forever affected by this. He wanted out of his responsibilities, and he didn't care who he hurt in the process. Helping Hunter with his crime had zero benefit for Joshua and Jonathan, so why would they help him? The next day on December 4th, when Cherish didn't return home, her grandmother started calling around to her friends. She spent the next few days calling and driving around looking for Cherish, or seeing if anyone had seen her. In the middle of the frantic searches, Carolyn got into a wreck and had to be hospitalized. When Belinda, Cherish's mom, came up, Carolyn told her about Cherish. Belinda then called to report her missing. Officer Kobe Rawls responded and took the report of Cherish. He then called Chief Young, who was in charge of all investigations. He told the officer to enter her into the National Crime Information Center database. A few days after the murder, Hunter and Jonathan returned to the gravesite and tried to cover it better with leaves and logs. Hunter broke the bat over his knees and burned it. The three boys didn't really speak of the incident until the news broke on December 7th. Hunter and Jonathan went to the sheriff of Cleveland County's home to speak with him. Sheriff Jack Rogers II came home around 8 p.m. and the boys were in his living room with his wife. Hunter started telling him that Cherish's family was spreading rumors about him and that he was the reason she was missing. He also told the sheriff that he and Cherish had talked about her being pregnant and that he didn't think he was the father, but Cherish said he was. Jonathan just repeated everything Hunter said. The sheriff wasn't informed that she was missing yet. Tyra Haynes is Hunter's mom's best friend, and she was with Barbara on December 7th when Cherish's disappearance was made public. They were talking about this, and Brenda made the comment that Cherish was telling people that she was pregnant with her son's kid. She told Tyra that her son has mentioned that he can make Cherish disappear. Tyra told her that she ran into the boys at the country store around 9 p.m. on the 3rd. Tyra was terrified. She went to the sheriff's wife's house on December 10th and told her everything. She phoned her husband, Sheriff Rogers, and told him what Tyra just said. The sheriff, Sergeant Whitmore, and Special Agent McKelvey drove to Barbara Fitzpatrick's home where Hunter, Jonathan, and Josh lived. Hunter was at his dad's house, but Josh and Jonathan were in the backyard burning something. And of course, Barbara wasn't there. They asked the boys to go to the sheriff's office to talk about Cherish's disappearance. While there, Jonathan was texting his girlfriend and told her that he had to talk to the police because he was Hunter's alibi and he had to take a polygraph. He gave a fake alibi and said that they fell asleep watching TV. During the questioning, his phone was blowing up from text messages from Hunter's mom, Barbara. At 2.48 p.m., she told him to call her. A minute later, she told him to get up and walk out of there. At 4.51 p.m., she told him to call her. And again, 12 minutes later, 
An hour and a half later, she told him to call her when he can. Followed by call a minute after. At 5.42 p.m., she said, don't talk about any of this to anyone. And he responded, I know. She told him to get up and leave, so he did. He went to Pine Bluff and had dinner with his girlfriend before going to Barbara's house. Jonathan left and went and picked Hunter up from his dad's house and then headed back to Barbara's. The whole time she was texting them and calling, telling them to hurry up and get out of Cleveland County. Joshua was questioned as well that day as his mom, and his mom told him to do what's right. That was when Joshua told them everything. He told the police that he could take them to the grave site. Hunter and Jonathan were hanging out at Barbara's when she yelled out that the cops were there. The boys were out back when Hunter took off running. Jonathan and Barbara were arrested, and they told Jonathan that Josh took them to Cherish's body and told them everything. That was when Jonathan decided to tell them the truth as well. Throughout the trial, Hunter denied all of it and blamed Jonathan and Joshua for everything. But in the end, Hunter was found guilty of capital murder, kidnapping, and abuse of a corpse. A search warrant for a DNA swap from Hunter was signed to compare the DNA of the unborn child. The report stated that Brad Hunter Smith is excluded as the biological father. Jonathan and Joshua were both found guilty of first-degree murder, kidnapping, and abuse of a corpse. During the penalty phase for Hunter, Carolyn Cooley made a statement. She said that Cherish was like a daughter to her and she loved her very much. She said the crimes have ripped her heart out and it's hard for her to go on. Cherish was her only grandchild. She described her as loving and full of life. She ended her statement saying she was supposed to go before her granddaughter. She died way too early. Her mother, Belinda, also made a statement. She wanted the jury to know that Cherish was nothing like the awful names that Hunter called her. She said she lost a part of her when she lost Cherish. I reached out to Cherish's mom before I finished this episode to learn more about the person that she was. The media reported on the crime and focused on the cruel things that Hunter called Cherish, but no one talked about who she really was. Cherish will forever be missed by her friends and family. The life of such a wonderful person was cut short by a selfish prick who will sit on death row until his final day. He didn't even give her child a chance to experience life. The baby would be almost two and is missed daily by the family that would have adored and loved the baby through thick and thin just as they did Cherish. I want to thank everyone for downloading this episode. I'll be discussing a case involving a self-proclaimed white supremacist and a shootout that y'all may remember. Don't forget to get your tickets to Potter and Love this August in New Orleans. Use promo code STRICTLY to save. I'll be there on a few panels and down Podcasters Alley. If you enjoy the show, please rate and review us on iTunes. If you'd like to help support Strictly Homicide, we have a Patreon page that you can find by searching Strictly Homicide Podcast and a donate link button on our website, strictlyhomicide.com. Our website also has a merch store, and we have our first Strictly Homicide t-shirt designed to check out. Find us on Facebook and Instagram under Strictly Homicide Podcast and follow us on Twitter at 
at Strictly, H-M-I-C-I-D-E. Strictly Homicide is written and hosted by me, Nikki T. The original music and production is done by Mr. T. No, not that one, my Mr. T. The original graphic art is also done by me. Stay tuned for promos, including Potter and Love, Gone Cold, Ignorance Was Bliss, and Eye for an Eye podcast, a few of my favorites. Y'all stay safe, especially you, Arkansas. Gone Cold Podcast, Texas True Crime, explores unsolved homicides and missing persons cases throughout the state of Texas, providing the victims and their families with a voice. The abduction and murder of Carla Walker, Fort Worth's February slayings, including the killing of June Ward, the disappearances of Allie Lowitzer from Spring, and Nicole Garcia of Haltom City, are cases in which the devastated families seek answers as to what happened to their loved ones. Please join us as we attempt to deliver an accurate representation of the victims, as well as a complete and comprehensive examination of the crimes or disappearances. You can find Gone Cold Podcast, Texas True Crime, at Apple Podcasts, or virtually wherever else you listen to podcasts. Thanks, y'all. Hey, 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 everybody. My name's Lisa. And my name is Matt. And we are the hosts of Ivor and I Podcast. And we are trying to determine whether or not the punishment fits the crime. Wasn't Ivor and I Matt? Does the punishment make sense? Was it too lenient, too harsh, too rough, not enough? We're not sure, but we're about to figure it out. And do you think that we have the opportunity to determine now what happened after the fact? Who knows? Take a listen to our podcast, Eye for Eye Podcast. We'd love to hear from you. Hi, I'm Dina Marie, the host of the Twisted Philly Podcast, and I've got a question for you. Do you love podcasts? Because I sure do. And that's why the podcast community, Podcast We Listen To, is hosting their very first podcast convention for listeners. It's called Pottern Love. The Pottern Love convention is for listeners by listeners. It's for all of us. And it includes podcasts from every genre you could imagine, including comedy, movies and TV, pop culture, paranormal, history, health and fitness, true crime, and so many more. Our first convention is August 10th, 11th, and 12th, 2018, in one of the coolest cities in the country, New Orleans, Louisiana. And it's being held at the Intercontinental Hotel, which is a premier French Quarter hotel. The location is amazing. And the room rate can't be beat either. It's only $129 a night. Tickets are on sale on the website at www.pottern.love. That's www.podern.love. There are over 40 independent podcasts already lined up to present at Pottern Love, and we'll be adding more before the convention. Plus, featured podcasters have discount codes, so you can get a discount on your tickets. Be sure to follow Pottern Love on Twitter and Facebook for the latest convention updates, news, information about new shows that are joining, and links to a dedicated website just for Pottern Love attendees to book their hotel room. We can't wait to see you this August in New Orleans. That's horrible. That's true. So strange. Usually. I can't imagine what that's like. Do you want to?
That could never happen to me. It might. Lock him away. He's pure evil. Or insane. Or human. My name's Kate. I have worked as a forensic psychologist, as well as in prisons and as a crisis clinician. My job was to figure out who gets locked up and who gets a key. To find the humanity in inhumane situations. So, are you sure you really want to know? Yeah. Maybe. Because by the end of the episodes, you just might end up thinking... I felt better before I knew that. You can find me at IWB Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, sometimes Instagram, or you can email me at IWBpodcast at gmail.com. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.